Our first lesson this evening comes to us from the prophet Isaiah, the 25th chapter. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for Him that He might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for Him. Let us be glad and rejoice in His salvation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Gospel from Matthew chapter 22, beginning with the first verse. Glory to you, O Lord. Again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered. Everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find, And those servants went out to the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. When the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. And the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness in the place There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. We can, in the name of our Lord Jesus, amen. From Isaiah chapter 25, on this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all people a feast of choice pieces, a feast of wines on the lees, of fat things full of marrow, of well-refined wines on the lees. He will destroy on this mountain the surface of the covering cast over all people and the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. The rebuke of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken, and it will be said in that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him, and he will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. I looked at the text assigned for this Sunday 
Two weeks ago, I chose this one for my sermon text. Last Saturday, we were all tragically surprised by the terrible attack upon the people of Israel. And it surprised me when I realized how closely connected these two things are. All week long, we have been witnessing this unfolding tragedy that is still not over. Many lives have been lost. And it would be normal for all of us to ask, I ask myself, what does this mean? How should we react to this? What should we do? It is beautiful the way God's Word answers great questions. Maybe not all the questions we might have, but God's Word always answers our important questions. Tonight I would like to explore these questions and answers. What's going on in this world around us? As well as God's answer to all these things and God's promises. First of all, this conflict is about the land of Israel. A conflict that's been going on for centuries. 2,000 years before the time of Jesus, Canaanites lived in this land. And God called a man named Abraham, led him to the land promised him that he would become the father of a great nation and that some of these descendants would one day possess that land. Abraham himself, neither any of his sons possessed that land. In fact, the only land that they ever possessed in the land of Israel was the land that Abraham bought from Ephron the Hittite in order to have a place for his wife to be buried. 600 years later, by the time we reach Moses and Joshua, things have changed. Now God tells Moses, and especially Joshua, to go into that land and to possess it and to destroy its inhabitants. It was because of the incredible wickedness of those inhabitants at that time. Listen to these words of Moses from Deuteronomy 9 verse 4. Do not think in your heart after the Lord your God has cast them out before you, saying, Because of my righteousness, the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. But it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out before you. God punished the nations and Israel in many ways over those following centuries. You can read all about that in the prophets. Isaiah, Jeremiah, and others. Those prophets carefully explain God's concern about the wickedness, wherever it might be in the world, and particularly the righteousness that God promises to bring into this world. That land uh, was possessed by the people of Israel roughly from the time of Joshua all the way until the time of Jesus, about 1,500 years in 70 A.D., Jerusalem was destroyed by the Romans, and the Romans had full possession of that land from that time all the way until around A.D. 600 when the Muslim jihad spread across the Middle East, northern Africa, and around the Mediterranean. Muslim, various Muslim nations possessed that land until 1917, or about 1,300 years. 
at the time of World War I, the British took possession of that land. And then in 1948, the United Nations decided to try to divide the land up between many Jewish people who were fleeing the Holocaust and anti-Semitism in Russia to divide the land between those Jews being persecuted and the Muslims and the Christians that were living there at that time. This is what has led to the mess that we see going on on the television before us to this very day. The argument goes basically like this. The Jewish people argue that it was the Muslims who pushed them off that land in 650 or so A.D. The Muslims argue that it was they who were pushed off that land by the United Nations in 1917. So the arguments go back and forth about who possesses that land and who's right and to who, who claims the right to it. I think the important thing to remember as we think about this land of Israel is that first and foremost, it is God's land. This is God's earth, and it is God's plan to bring salvation to this world. And God chose that land to bring forth His Messiah. He needed a place for Jesus to be born in Bethlehem, to be born of the Virgin Mary and a place for Jesus to make the sacrifice that would bring the forgiveness of sins to all who believe in Him and salvation at Calvary, as we just sang already in our service this evening. It was here that God had established salvation for all, all the nations of the world. As that Messiah has come, a lot of things have changed. And People can argue back and forth about who should have rights to that land. And when someone asks me, Pastor Walther, who do you support, the people of Israel or the people of Palestine? My answer is, is that's not the dividing line anymore. The dividing line has always been the dividing line between righteousness and wickedness. And I support righteousness. Righteousness among the Israelis who believe the Bible and follow the Messiah and seek justice. Righteousness among the Palestinians, some of whom also believe the Bible, follow the Messiah and seek justice in that land. I pray for that to happen in that land. I pray for repentance, I pray for forgiveness, and I pray for justice and peace. And that is the only hope for that land. But that brings us to Isaiah chapter 25, this great passage. And here's where God wants us to see not only the important work of salvation that he made possible in that holy land, but above all, to look even beyond to this mountain he speaks of, which we know is the mountain that is his kingdom and especially judgment day. If you look in Isaiah chapter 24, the last verse in that chapter, you'll see that this is clearly about judgment day, when cosmic upheaval begins and when God finally puts an end to all sin and wickedness in this world, when he removes the veil of unbelief that covers the eyes and the hearts of so many people, when God wipes away the tears 
of all the people, of all the nations. For this is God's ultimate goal, to bring forgiveness, life, and salvation to all the peoples of all the nations of all of this world. And so as we think about what this means for us today, we first of all look at these words and apply them to our own hearts. Where do we stand before the dividing line of righteousness and wickedness? That is what is most important first and foremost. We too listen to the words of Moses, the words of Isaiah, of the prophets, of Jesus, of the apostles, and all the others who have brought to us this way of salvation in Christ. In 2003, I was in Israel. I walked down the steps leading to the Temple Mount, past an Israeli soldier with an Uzi slung over his shoulder, talking to a young girl. I saw all sorts of men and a few women praying at that wailing wall. I looked up and I saw the golden dome of the rock, which was a representation of the time when the Muslims had complete control over that land. And I thought to myself, what is the meaning of all of this? And the impressive thought that came upon my mind and my heart at that time was, I can see clearly that nothing has changed. As I stood there in the very spot where Jesus and Peter and John and Paul had also most surely at one time stood, I realized that in their day there was vicious fighting over the possession of that land between the Romans and the Jewish leaders at that time. Just as there's vicious fighting over that land to this very day, Jesus never called, though, any of his disciples to take up arms against the Romans or against the Jewish leaders. What did Jesus call his disciples to? He called them to be like Abraham, pilgrims and strangers now in this land. Because the Messiah has come and the salvation of this world has been brought to those who believe. And like Abraham, we look on to the even greater promises that God has made, to this mountain that Isaiah speaks of in the 25th chapter, to this mountain of salvation and to this wedding feast, to the wedding feast that Jesus is speaking of in his parable, and the wedding feast that we hear about in other parts of the New Testament, to that time when God will completely separate good from evil and finally bring that conclusion to his plan of salvation to all. In the meantime, we pray for peace and justice in that land, for God to curb the evils that have arisen there and to save many souls alive, to bring his word and his spirit and his Messiah, that Jewish Messiah, into that land, into the hearts of all people, of whatever nation they may be, may be from, that in that Savior, Jesus, their sins would be forgiven and they would have crossed from that line of wickedness that God despises into the kingdom of His righteousness in His Son, Jesus. Amen. Please rise.